Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Forgiving us. Jesus Christ. He is the only way to you. Father, I know that there are many lords and many gods in this world, but there is only one true and living God, just as there is only one true and living Savior, and there is only one Holy Spirit that guides us to all truth. He draws from what he hears from you, and he speaks it unto men. We humble ourselves in order that you, Holy Spirit, may take authority over these vessels that belong to you, those whom you indwell, that you may speak a word of knowledge, a word of encouragement, a word of exhortation to the people who will gather here on this morning. It will never be by any might nor any will, but it will only be by the Spirit of God that all things pertaining to the kingdom of God may come about. So we thank you this morning, Holy Spirit, and we ask you to take authority over this service. As John the Baptist said of our Lord Jesus, I must decrease so that he may increase. Holy Spirit, increase Jesus in our hearts and in this place on this morning. Speak his word. In Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen. We have been ministering from the book of James. And so if you have your Bible, smartphones, smart tablets, on whichever device you may have your sword, the Word of God, we ask that you turn to James chapter 1. I'm going to read in your hearing verses 12 through 18. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I'll give you a moment to catch up with me there. James chapter 1, verse 18. This is the James, who is now known as James the Just. He is known by that name because he was an adherent to the divine word of God. He did not deviate to the left or to the right, but he saw the word of God as the sovereign and supreme authority of God given to men in writing that we may govern our lives according. He is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is believed to have written this letter between A.D., I believe, 45 and 50. He wrote it from Jerusalem to the Jews or the Christians, Jewish Christians, scattered abroad throughout outside of Palestine. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, 
For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brother, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is, is from above and comes down from the Father of life, with whom there is no variation rather, or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. God, I have read your word in the hearing and the presence of both you, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the angels in heaven, and those who are present here in the sanctuary and those who are within the sound of my voice. I now submit to your authority, Holy Spirit, to speak your word, the word of God our Father. In Jesus' name, amen. From heaven, to the Garden of Eden, to the White House, to the Silver Screens, to your house and mine, and until the Lord returns, Temptation has been and will always be a major contender fighting to challenge man's moral fiber, his integrity, and penchant for doing what is right in the sight of God rather than wrong. In short, temptation has plagued creation from its beginning. Now, why did I say creation and not state specifically the human race. Well, the roots of temptation are firmly planted in the spirit realm. Perhaps the clearest example of temptation's spiritual beginning is found in God's words of comfort to the enslaved Judah against the king of Babylon. God places Babylon in the company of such nefarious characters as Satan. Listen, and you will hear about an unbridled ambition laced with immoral temptation. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your hearts, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yes, you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depth of the pit. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15. Lucifer is the name of Satan. After creation, he alone, with an uncertain number of angels, 
Some say, based on Revelation 12, verse 4, that the one-third stars not found to the earth from heaven by the tail of the great dragon, Satan, were angels. With him were cast out of heaven. If the one-third star were angels, it is unclear, since nowhere in the Bible are we told that the stars were actually angels. But we can be certain that there are those spirits that follow him and, like him, are condemned for eternity. But my point is simply that Satan was tempted in his heart to become God. In fact, Jesus likened those of Israel to whom he spoke as offspring of Satan because of their unbelief in who he was. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would have loved me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, his own inner being, his own mind, his own understanding, for he is a liar and a father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convict me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's word. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Two points concerning the words of Isaiah. First, God is the eternally self-existent I am. He was not created but has always existed. Instead, God created all things, the seen and unseen. That's why you cannot believe the lie that a man is now pregnant. That's just another way Satan has poisoned the mind of some people in order to nullify the reality of God and his word. What that report does is confirm that no matter how twisted a person's mind may become, the truth of their gender will always point back to the infallible perfection of God. And the second thing is that which is created cannot take the place of its creator, God, who is blessed forever. Amen. Last Sunday, I started my message on the Christian conduct in trial, how to resist temptation. There are three facts that we must consider if we are to overcome temptation. We must consider God's judgment. We must consider God's goodness. And we must consider God's divine nature within us. Last Sunday, I got as far as consider God's judgment. Under that division, I drew from verses 13 through 16, highlighting temptation's process or process in four stages. Temptation, the process of temptation is number one, in stage one is desire. The word lust means any kind of desire and not necessarily a sexual passion. The normal desires of life were given to us by God and of themselves are not sinful. Without these desires, we cannot function. 
unless we felt hunger and thirst, we would never eat or drink, and therefore we would cease to exist. If we never become to became tired, the body would never rest and would eventually wear out. In the relations between a man and a woman, albeit ordained by God to be between a husband and a wife only, is a normal desire. Without the human race, without it, the human race could not continue. Some people try to be, become spiritual by denying these normal desires or by seeking to suppress them. But this only makes them less than human. These fundamental desires of life are the internal combustion that makes a goal. If we stop the combustion, we have no power to live. However, uncontrolled combustion, and that's what temptation ultimately is, um, uncontrolled combustion leads to destruction. The secret is in continuous control. These desires must be our servants and not our masters, and this we can do through Jesus Christ. The second stage, uh, uh, the second stage of temptation that leads to our destruction is the is deception. No temptation appears as temptation. Never. I don't know about you, but I've never seen something that looked really good that I wanted, and then went to eat it and found out it was rotten on the inside. Sometimes, temptation, all the time, temptation looks good on the outside. It always seems more appealing, bewitching, captivating, charming, enchanting, fascinating, glorious, seductive, or appetizing, or appetizing than it really is. Temptation always carries with it some bait that appeals to our normal desire. Mm, that looks good, I think I'll eat some of that. Mm, that looks good. I think I'll buy me some of that. Temptation always looks good. The bait not only attracts us, but it also hides the fact that giving in to its desire will eventually bring sorrow and punishment. When I was a boy, and even now that I'm a man, there are times when I, when I was a boy, I used to fish all the time. and I would always dig up earthworms, and i put them on my hook so that I could hide my hook, and I would put my hook in the water, and I would wait for the fish to bite. And then when I, I had a cork on there, so when the cork started to bob up and down, and when it, it disappeared out of sight, I would jerk on my pole, and I, on the end of my pole, I would have a fish. The only reason I caught that fish is because there was a bait hiding the very the danger that awaited that fish. And that is the hook. And that's what temptation is. Deception never appears uh, any other way than appealing and appetizing. The second, the third stage in the process of temptation is disobedience. From the emotions, which are desires, which is your desire, from and the intellect, which is deception, we come to the wheel. Desire conceives a method of picking the bait. The will approves an act, and the result is sin. In law, we conceive a bad thing, and that's called mens reis. That's when we conceive something bad in our mind, 
And then when we activate it, when we actually engage in the thing, the bad thing that we thought in our mind, it becomes access brilliant. And that's when we are caught. And so the act result is sin, whether we feel it or not, we are hooked and trapped. The baby is born and just wait until it matures. And then stage four in our process of sin that leads to destruction is death. Disobedience gives birth to death, not life. It may take years for the sin to mature, but when it does, the result will be death. If you and I will only believe God's word and see this final tragedy, it will encourage us not to give in to temptation. God has directed this barrier because he loves us. But if we break away the barrier, then we are in trouble. Here's what scripture says. I have I any pleasure at all in the wickedness to die? And the answer is no. God takes no pleasure in the wicked dying. So this morning, I want to continue my message on Christian conduct and trials, how to resist temptation. So we, trans- so we, so we transition from, the consider- from considering God's judgment to considering God's goodness. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. One of Satan's tricks is to convince us that God is holding out on us, that he's holding out on us, that he does not really love us or care for us. Many people around the world teach that or try to convince others that God is just a figment of their imagination, number one, and that he doesn't really exist. If that is the case, then how can they refer to him as God? And why do they refer to him as God? And why do they deny his existence? if they believe he doesn't exist. So if they deny that he doesn't believe that he exists, then chances are he does exist. And I'm here to tell you God does exist. When the devil approached Eve, he suggested that if God really loved her, he would permit her to eat the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When the devil tempted Jesus, he raised the question of hunger. If you, if your father loves you, why are you hungry? If I were your husband, this is how the devil talks about women. Women take particular attention to this. This is how the devil operates through the slick-talking guy. If I were your husband, I will never let you wear this or that, or I will never let you go anywhere alone. Ladies, if a man ever says that to you, you better run as fast as you can away from that bone. He is telling you that he is, uh, that he is jealous and he will never truly trust you. He will always question your commitment to him, and he will always put you down. Forewarn is foreknown. We have... We have a friend that uh, experienced that very, very thing. The goodness of God is a great barrier against getting in to temptation. Because God is good, he does not need any other person, including the devil, to meet our needs. 
it is better to be hungry in the will of God uh, than to be full outside of the will of God. Once we start to doubt God's goodness, we will be attracted to the devil's offers, and the natural desire within, within will reach out for the faith of Satan. I think that's a book, The Faith of Satan. We reach out to the faith of Satan. Moses warned Israel not to forget God's goodness when they began to enjoy the blessings of the promised land. We need to heed this warning today. But unfortunately, the children of Israel did not heed the warning of God, of Moses. In verse 17, James presents four facts about the goodness of God. The first fact about the goodness of God is that God's gifts are always good. Every good and, and everything good in this world comes from God. If, God, if, the, if gifts are or if gifts do not or do not did not or do not come from God, rather, they are good. Period. Nothing that comes from God is bad. If it comes from God, it has to be good, even if we do not see the goodness in it immediately. We must be careful not to call what God has called good, bad, or evil. Even when we can understand it with our own little finite mind, it does not mean that it is not good. It simply means that we lack at the moment the capacity, the intellectual capacity or the intellectual capital to grasp the goodness of what God is doing in our lives and what God has given to us. But do not call what God has called good bad. Paul, Paul's thorn in the flesh, for example, was given to him by God, and it seems to be a strange gift. Yet it became a tremendous blessing to him. It kept him humble. It kept him relying upon God and not, not getting to a point where he thought that he should be elevated and that he was the one doing all that he was doing for himself. No. The second fact about the goodness of God is that the way God gives is good. We can translate the second cause and every act of giving. It is possible for someone to give us a gift in a manner that is less than loving. The value of the gift can be lessened by the way it is given to us. But when God gives us a blessing, he does it in a loving and gracious manner. What he gives and how he gives are both good. So the third fact about the goodness of God is that God gives constantly. Coming down is a present participle meaning. It keeps on coming down. God never stops providing. It's just that we are never in a position most of the time to recognize God's giving and to us, and so we miss out on what God is giving us, and so we stand out God, and we talk about God. Look, God gives seed to the sower, he gives bread to the hunger. God takes care of us, so God gives constantly. And a great example of that is the children of Israel walking in the wilderness. 
walked in the wilderness. Forty years they ate manna that God provided for them. Forty years they ate the quail that God sent down, sent over to them. So God always provides. You always talk about you don't have enough money because God didn't give you enough money. You always have enough money. The question is, how do you manage what God has entrusted to you? Are you faithful stewards? That is the question. It's never a question about whether you have enough money. It is a question of how you manage what you have. God gives constantly. God does not give sometimes. He gives constantly. Even when we do not see his gifts, he is sending them. That's why we need to learn patience and wait on God. Wait on the Lord, and I say to you, good courage. Wait, I say, on the Lord. He is sending what you need. How do we know this? Because he tells us so, and we believe his word. Now the fourth fact about God's goodness is that God does not change. God is in immutable. God does not change. I know there are arguments. Well, God says that um, he does not repent. Or God says, if you do this, then I won't do that. God says, I will change my mind. What the scripture really is saying, not that God changes because God is immutable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The thing is, when God speaks a thing, it is up to us to do a thing. So if we're doing wrong and God instructs us that if we do this, then he will not do that. That is not God changing his mind when you do what you what he tells you to do. It simply means that God is acting in the character of his nature or acting in his nature, and that means he does not change. He simply honors what he says he's going to do. Now, if you say that I am, that if God says, I will strike you down if you don't quit doing this wrong thing, and once you do it, God does not do anything. He, he doesn't punish you as he said. That is simply God honoring his word. God is true to his nature because as Jesus tells us in John 17, 17, when he says, sanctify them by thy truth, Jesus tells us that the word of God is true. God is true. All truth emanates flows from God. So God is constant. So God is constantly and God never changes. There are no shadows with the Father of life. It is impossible for God to change. He cannot change for the worse because he's holy. He cannot change for the better because he's already perfect. If shadows come down between uh, us and the Father of life, God did not cause them. He is the unchanging God. This means that we should never question his love or doubt his goodness when hardships come or temptations appear. We talked about, you know, uh, be patient and let patience don't count it not strange when you come into times of temptation, knowing that the trying of your faith work is patience, but let patience have its perfect work so that you may be complete and perfect in all things. God does not change, but we must learn that in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our challenges, that we must be patient and wait on the Lord and be of good courage because he will see us through it. Now, if David had remembered the goodness of God, the man after God's own heart, he never would have 
taken another man's wife and then committed the terrible sins of adultery and murder. I was thinking about this this morning. If David, how many David married Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, after he murdered Uriah? And he married Bathsheba. I wonder if every day he relived in his mind the atrocity of his actions. It's hard to forget your past, the things that you have done, particularly when God has saved you and you look back and you're so embarrassed and ashamed of what you've done. But we've got to be like Paul, forgetting those things which are behind and looking towards those things that are before and press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You'll never get anywhere as long as you're looking backwards. So you must look forward. Don't let your past handicap you anymore. I'm talking to me too. Trust me. The first barrier against temptation is a negative one, the judgment of God. The second barrier is positive, the goodness of God. And then the fear of God is a healthy attitude, but the love of God must balance it. We can obey him because he may chasten us. Or we can obey him because he has already been so generous to us and because we love him for it. Listen, your earthly father, I'll help you, I don't know my father, but many earthly fathers, not my mother, earthly mothers punish us for the things that we did wrong, but it was for our good for us to learn. So how much more so that God, our father, who is far much better than our earthly parents, and when he disciplines us, and he wants to shape and mold us and make us better, bring us into the purpose for which he created us, Are we? how much more should we endure what his chastising is? We must endure God's chastisement. So, a great positive illustration of one's appreciation for God's goodness can be seen in Joseph's response to Potiphar's wife's carnal advances toward him. What did Joseph do? Joseph fled. He left his coat in the hands of Potiphar's wife while he was making haste to get away from her. Uh, he did not ponder the matter. He ran as fast as his legs could carry. Just because your boss has elevated you to a position of greater authority and responsibility doesn't mean you can do anything you feel like doing. And that, that doesn't help you on your job. I'm, I'm trying to help you here. Authority and responsibility does not mean ownership. We say that we take ownership in it, but taking ownership in it is not the same as owning it. You have to recognize, as Joseph did, that all these blessings have come from God. It was the goodness of God through the hands of his employer that restrained him from the hour of temptation. Listen, God's gifts are always better than the devil's bargain. Uh, I hope you get that. God's gifts are always better than the devil's bargain. The devil never gives any gifts because you end up paying for them dearly in the end. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow this Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. So the next time you are tempted, meditating on the goodness of God in your
If you think you need something, wait on the Lord to provide it. Never play the devil's bait. No, never play with the devil's bait. One purpose for temptation is to teach us patience. David was tempted twice to kill Saul, and he hastened to his own elevation, and that would hasten him to his own elevation as king of all Israel. But he resisted the temptation, uh, and he waited for God's time. And let me tell you something, God's timing is perfect. Paul, the apostle, speaks of temptation in this wise. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so, let me just briefly pull from here four quick observations, just from that passage of Scripture. Observation one, temptations are common to man. This phrase alone separates us from God. Why? Because God is never tempted with evil, nor does he tempt any man. Second observation is that God is faithful. And what I mean by God's faithfulness is God's faithfulness is characterized by his steadfast affection or allegiance to his children. God will never leave you nor forsake you. We have earthly fathers that bring us that 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 impregnates our mothers and then take off and, and deny that we are there, whoever you might be. But God, when God, when you are God's child, God will never disown you. He will always say, that's my son, that's my daughter, that's my child, these are my children. God will always honor his children. He will always be there for his children. The second, the third observation is that uh, God always gives us a way to escape temptation. Uh-huh. The Greek is the way of escape, the appropriate way of escape in each particular temptation that is. So every temptation is different, and so while we get out of this, it's different also. Not an immediate escape, but, but one in due time after patients have had its perfect work. God makes the way of escape simultaneously with the temptation which he allows. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 9, verse 9, Peter says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver God the godly out of the uh, temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God allows temptation in order that we may learn patience, that in order that when they come, we may learn the difference between testing and temptation. God tests us to, 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 to build us up, to bring out of us what he has installed in us to mature us. He also allows temptation to enter in so that we can understand the difference between what God gives us and what the devil wants us to have. Observation four is to bear it. Uh, although God will not take the temptation away from us, he will always give us the spiritual strength to face and withstand with courage the temptation. Finally, after we consider God's judgment and and goodness, we come to our final.
divine nature within verse 18 of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. In the first barrier, God says, look ahead and be aware of judgment. There's a price to pay for following the bait of temptation. In the second barrier, he says, look around and see how good I have been to you. Now, if you were to take stock in your life, you will see that your days, your past days were far better, far more than your worst days were. That's God working in your life. In your worst days, God allowing you to go through some things in order to grow you, mature you, develop you into what he has purposed for you to do and be. But with this third barrier, God says, look within and realize that you have been born from above and possess divine nature. James used the first picture as, uh, used the first as a picture of desire leading to sin and death. He also used it to explain how we can enjoy victory over temptation and sin. John the Apostle used a similar approach in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, where he, where he says his seed, in other words, refers to the divine life and nature within the believer, not the characteristics, note here the characteristics of the spiritual birth. Number one is divine. Nicodemus thought that he had to re-enter his mother's womb to be born a, a second time, but he was wrong. This birth is not of the flesh. It is from above, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. It is the work of God. Just as we did not generate our own human birth, we cannot generate our own spiritual birth. We, when, we, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it was God who performed the miracles of salvation in our lives. The second characteristic of the, the divine birth is, or the, uh, the second character of the, yeah, divine nature within us is the divine birth. It is, the, it is gracious. First, it is divine. Second, it is gracious. We did not earn it, nor do we deserve it. God gave us spiritual birth because of his own grace and will, which were born not of blood, which is human not of the will of flesh, which is human effort, nor of the will of man, which is human assistance, but of God, where there is only God involved. No human. So no one can be born again because of his relatives, because of his revolution, because of his religion, because of his money, because of his possessions, because of his clothes, because of his upbringing, because, because of whatever. No one can be born again Apart, apart from Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, the new birth is the work of God by both his Son, Jesus Christ, and his Holy Spirit, which is our guide to all truth, who indwells us and instructs us and teaches us from the inside outward, he changes us. The third characteristic is that it is through God's word that we are spiritually born again. Just as human birth requires two parents, 
so divine, ah, I love this, so divine birth has two camps. It has the word of God, and it has the spirit of God. Jesus said in John 6:63, it is the, the flesh process nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He says, it is the spirit that gives life. The word, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I give unto you, that I speak unto you, are spirit and they are life. It requires the word of God and it requires the spirit of God in order for a person to become born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Glory to God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. The Spirit of God uses the word of God to bring about the miracle of the new birth in humanity. Since the word of God is living and powerful, oh glory, it cannot, it can guarantee life in the heart of sinner of the sinner who trusts Christ and that it is that life is God's life. And then, of course, the final and fourth and final characteristic in the spiritual birth, and that is it is the finest birth possible. We are a kind of first fruits, my brothers and sisters, of God's creation or creatures. James wrote to the Jewish believers, and the word first fruits would be meaningful to them. The Old Testament Jews brought the first fruits to the Lord as the expression of their devotion and obedience. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruit of all thine increase, Proverbs 3 9. Of all creatures, all the creatures God has in the universe, Christians are the very highest and the finest. We share God's nature. For this reason, it is beneath our dignity to accept the faith of the devil or to desire sinful things. A higher birth must mean a higher life. Listen, let me go back here for a second. I said, for this reason, it is beneath our dignity to accept the faith of the devil or to desire sinful things. We teach, let me, let me get a little bait here if I can. We teach our dog not to eat food from someone else, from a stranger's hand. Our dogs now, and when, when our dogs and we teach our dogs that, and yet we will not learn the very lessons that our dogs are able to learn. There's a problem. Aren't we not smarter than the dogs? Aren't we not better than dogs? How then can we teach a dog not to trust a stranger, and yet we will take from Satan and keep what he gives us, knowing, not knowing the motive behind it? We share God's nature. For this reason, it is beneath our dignity to accept the faith of the devil or desire sinful things. A higher birth means a higher life. If we have life through Jesus Christ, then we have a higher life than that of the sinner that does not know Christ. That doesn't mean we're better than. No, 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 no. Because God, God is a God that does not show partiality. God does not care what you have because ultimately you belong to God. And if you belong to God, everything you have belongs to God. 
The law does not care about what you look like, who you are, where you're from, who your parents are. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today ministering the word of God. So let's not get it twisted. So let me just conclude with this. In giving us a new birth, God declares that he cannot accept the old birth. Throughout God's precious word, he rejects the firstborn and accepts the secondborn. What do you mean? Do you have any proof of that? Yeah, of course. He accepted Abel and not Cain. He accepted Isaac and not Ishmael. He accepted Jacob and not Esau. He rejects our first or first birth, no matter how noble it might have been in the eyes of men. And he announces that we need a second birth. If it were unnecessary, then Jesus would not have had to come into the world. But if God was going to save us and we enter into a personal relationship with each of us, he had to do something drastic in order to make that come about. And so he gave us his son, born of a woman, born under the law, at the right time to deliver us from our state of sin. So, he announces that we need a second birth. It is the experience of the new birth that helps us overcome temptation. If we let the old nature, that is from the first birth, take over, we will fail. We receive our old nature, the flesh, from Adam, and he was a failure. Why in the world, then, once we are saved, would we want to revert back to what we used to be, which was really sinful? And out of the grace of God, out of relationship with him. But if we yield to the new nature, we will succeed, for that new nature comes from Christ, and he is the victor. So a Sunday school child explains the matter in this simple term here. He says, two men live in my heart, the old Adam and Jesus. He said, when temptation knocks at the door, somebody has to answer. If I let Adam answer, he says, I will sin. So I send Jesus to answer. He always wins. This is from a child's perspective. Of course, this new nature must be fed the word of God daily that it might be strong to fight the battle. Just as the Holy Spirit used the Word of God to give us spiritual birth, he uses the Word of God to give us spiritual strength. Man shall not live, Jesus said, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth or out of the mouth of God. That's how we grow strong, spiritually. So no matter what excuses we make, we have no one to blame for sin but ourselves. Our own desires lead us into temptation and sin. God is not to blame. Why do people always say, why did God let this happen? Why did God do this? Well, the simple reason is because we are free will, and God gives us the freedom to choose for ourselves what we will do and what we will not do. So don't blame God. God has erected these three barriers to keep us from sin. If we heed the barriers, we will win a crown. 
Verse 12, if we break through the barriers, we will find the coffin. It's just that simple. Obey God and live. Disobey God and die. For it is appointed, the Hebrews also say, I believe 9, chapter 9, verse 25, it is appointed for every man to die once within the judgment. See, God, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God is not willing that any man should perish, or woman should child to perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is, all should come to know him through Jesus Christ and live forever with him in eternity. God does not desire the wicked to die. God wants to have relationships. God wants us to live and not die. And so that's why the psalmist said, I will live and not die to declare the exports of God. God is great. What God does is awesome. We need to understand that. What will it be for you? Will you obey God and live, or will you disobey God and 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 die for the cause and the <laughs> And now it is appointed that every man who die once and then the judgment. See, there are two births. There's a natural birth and there's a spiritual birth. And there are two deaths. There's a natural death and then there's a spiritual death. So which one would you choose? Would you choose the spiritual birth and then live forever? Or will you choose the natural birth and die and burn in eternity? The question is yours. The question is put to you. Which will it be? Your decision. You have this choice. God will never force anything on you. He will always allow you to make your own decisions. You just have to choose wisely which one you will be. Let me ask you two questions, and then I'm going to conclude. First question is, have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die today, that you have eternal life? If not, or, or is that something you're still working on? If not, if I were you, I'd have to do something about that today. Secondly, you're going to stand before God one day in, in eternity, and he's going to ask you a question. And he's going to wait for your answer. He's going to call you by name. He's going to say, why should I let you into my heaven? My question to you is, what will you say to God? Do you have an answer? Do you have not an answer, but do you have the right answer? If you don't know the answer, now is the time for you to come to the altar, whoever you are so that I may explain it to you. See, I'm like... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.